Hello. Bonjour. Bonjour. Ciao. Hello. Welcome to Fertility Insights, the Cooper Surgical Podcast. Hello. Welcome to Fertility Insights, the Cooper Surgical Podcast. We're delighted you've joined us to learn more about fertility and the latest research from highly respected and experienced experts within the industry. My name is Dave Morrill, and I'm the Director of Clinical Support at Cooper Surgical. In this episode, I'm joined by Laura Rienzi and Professor Bill Ledger. Laura is the Scientific Director of General Life IVF Network and Adjunct Professor of Biotechnology in Assisted Reproduction at the University of Urbino in Italy. Bill is Head of Obstetrics and Gynaecology and leads a fertility research group at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. In addition, he works with the City Fertility Group of IVF centres. So I'm delighted to have two such renowned and accomplished guests to talk today about the laboratory and clinical aspects of vitrification, which is central to so many aspects of assisted reproduction treatments. So let's start by talking about um, why why we vitrify, and I'm particularly interested in um, the uh, tendency nowadays to use freeze-all cycles, and perhaps we can start uh, with you, Bill. What um, what would the advantages and disadvantages of a freeze-all strategy be in uh, IVF treatments? I think we have to look at the different populations of patients that might be um, eligible for this strategy. Uh, nowhere in IVF does one size fit all. And I well remember the beautiful paper by Paul DeVroy and his colleagues 10 years ago about segmentation as the way to avoid ovarian hyperstimulation. And I don't think many people in our field would now argue that a freeze-all strategy with an antagonist protocol and an agonist trigger is the safest way to avoid OHSS for someone who's at risk as a high responder, polycystic ovary patient, etc. But that doesn't mean we should be doing it for everyone. And someone who's not at risk of OHSS, perhaps older with a low AMH or low AFC, is not going to get severe OHSS, so that's not something to take into consideration. They may prefer to keep the momentum of the cycle and have a fresh embryo transfer. I think that's something we maybe overlook, David, sometimes, that people don't want to wait even one cycle, particularly if they are a little older and they want more than one child out of this. So different strategies for different patient groupings, I think, is the right way. So tar- targeted patient groups, exactly. and, and it still has its its use. And, and Laura, what what are the pros and cons of the freeze-all strategy in, in the laboratory? So clearly we have uh, to apply this technology based on the setting and, of course, also on the socioeconomical uh, context and patient population, as uh, referred before. So which are the pros? is clearly uh, to have a higher flexibility to manage the couple treatment in the lab. Uh, But we need high-performance vitrification program. So we need to have a well-equipped lab, trained operator. And this is not only for freeze-all approach, but mainly most of the patients will need to cryopreserve embryos. So it is our duty in the lab to set an excellent vitrification program because we will need it, especially if we have a single embryo transfer policy. The majority of the embryo will be vitrified in any case. 
So, uh, so it is really the responsibility of the lab to offer an excellent vitrification program for all patients if needed, if indicated, because you, in any case, even if you don't apply a free source strategy, you will need it for the majority of the patients. So just, just following up on that then, the, the, I've heard it mentioned that freeze-all strategies add to the workload and the stress in the laboratory. Are, are you saying that it shouldn't necessarily because the vitrification is so central to what the lab does anyway? Yeah, yeah. In fact, for me, it, 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 it helps to manage the lab. Because if you don't have an embryo transfer set, uh, a plan, and you just have to vitrify the embryo, you can really make the vitrification according to the, uh, to the workflow in the lab. So for me, it's not adding any stress in the lab. On the contrary, it's helping to better organize the lab. And of course, it gives an incredible opportunity for the embryologist to extend time for embryo evaluation which is really very important nowadays. We have a lot of different strategy and a lot of new strategy are coming up. And it's clearly if we can vitrify the embryo and have more time to apply this strategy, it's not only uh, genetic uh, testing, but we may have other strategy to, to assess the embryo. And time is crucial to apply this, uh, this strategy. So for me, it is a key, a game changer in the lab, but in a positive way. Excellent. And um, I'm just interested how both of you answer uh, the next question. That's in, in the freeze-all cycles. Is there a preferred stage at which you would cryopreserve the, the embryos? Perhaps we'll start with the clinician. <laughs> so, Bill. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I'm working uh, or have worked in the last year with three different labs, and there were three different policies. I think clinicians should defer to the senior embryologists to answer that question, um, I, I'm a, I am an advocate of, of allowing the professional groups to uh, make decisions that are relevant to their part of the workload. And there are differences in opinion, which I'm sure Lara will agree. There's not a consensus. So therefore, what my leader of my lab suggests is the right way for me is the right way forward. That's probably the music, music to the ears of most embryologists, Bill. <laughs> Laura, what's, uh, what's your So for me, thoughts? it's quite incredible, but there is no standardization in the lab. There is no consensus, not even in the stage in which we should transfer the embryo. And this is something that we have to work in the lab, to, to start thinking about consensus, standardization, and uh, application of different strategy that we have in a similar way. Uh, the best embryologists in the world can make a mistake. We have to base our decision on data, and this is not really what is happening every day in the labs. According to um, our experience, blastocyst formation, and also the, the data in the literature, blastocyst formation is the best biomarker of embryo viability. We are always looking for biomarkers, and we have a very easy one, which is just to culture the embryo up to the blastocyst stage. So because the embryo transfer per se is not a positive outcome, if I... I can assess the embryo prior to a transfer. I understand that the embryo is not viable and avoid a transfer to a patient. For me, it's a successful story. It's not an unsuccess. So basically, we have to decide which is the, the outcome in IVF. And if the outcome is only to obtain a live birth, which is what our patients are looking for, embryo transfer per se is not 
is not a denominator. So this is why in our setting we are applying a, a blastocyst culture for all, even if it's a single embryo, because if the embryo will arrest in the development, we, we, are, we are going to avoid an unuseful transfer for the patient. And for us, it is a more transparent way to work, avoiding extra um, extra um, uh, technology for the patients. So really, blastocyst formation, it's a powerful biomarker and we should use it to assess embryo viability. And of course, there are others that can be also combined with that. But uh, it is, for us, um, clearly important to say to the patient if, a, if the embryo is viable and it's worth to be transferred or prior preserved. Thank you. That's that, that, that's fascinating. I'm interested, just as a, a follow-up then, Laura, that, are there any circumstances in which you would uh, vitrify embryos at, for instance, the cleavage stage? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. There is no circumstances where I would uh, I would vitrify on the, uh, on the at cleavage stage. There are circumstances where I'm going to vitrify at all sites stage before fertilization for many different reasons even for just accumulation of all side, not to create uh, extra nu- uh, uh, supernumerary embryos that maybe will not be useful for the patients. But uh, no, we, I think in the last two years, we never vitrified at the cleaver stage. And, and that seems to be a, a, a fairly universal approach now, isn't it? That the vitrification is proving so successful that we can use it for oocytes and blastocysts. But it's a little um, bit stranger, but everybody's vitrifying at the blastocyst. So for vitrification, everybody agrees that there is no reason to, to vitrify before because we want to vitrify only useful embryos. But when it comes to transfer, to guarantee the transfer for the patient, in some cycle, it is decided to, trans- to transfer before. So I come back to the, to the outcome measures. Why should we consider a transfer a positive outcome? Uh, absolutely. So to, so to go on from there a little, the, the philosophical question becomes, do you believe that an embryo which is not getting off to a good start in the lab may do better from day three in the uterus, or is the outcome going to be identical whether it's cultured in utero or in the lab? So uh, the embryo sensitivity is, is related to the stage of development. So early we are in the development, more the embryo is sensitive. The oocyte is super sensitive to chemical and physical uh, condition in the lab. So it's not that uh, if you transfer the cleaver stage, you're going to remove the stress that the embryo has accumulated in the lab. So our duty is to put the best condition from the very beginning of the culture. So if um, you transfer at the cleaver stage, what you are going to see, we are not going to see if the lab is not supporting correctly the embryo development. So it's also a very important key performance indicator for the lab to understand if something is not going right in the lab. From molar to blastocyst, the embryo is uh, super strong and super resistant to chemical and physical changes. So I don't think that these are the moments where the embryo is sensitive to in vitro conditions. And if you see uh, the Cochrane review, you see that the cumulative live birth rate when you transfer at the cleaver stage or at the blastocyst stage is the same. So you are not losing, in general, useful embryos because, of course, if you, you, you lose embryo by going to blastocyst, you would have 
a lower cumulative light birth rate. So our duty is to ensure that the lab has the best condition from the very beginning of the culture because the most sensitive period is from all side stage to the first cleavage. And it's not going to be repaired if you transfer a, 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 a cleavage stage embryo in the uterus. And Lara, the flip side of that is sometimes we're trying to persuade women or couples to stop treatment because you know it's not going to work. And if you have evidence of failure to progress to blastocysts in the lab on two or three or four cycles, however many it takes, that can sometimes be a more powerful way of persuading people to stop rather than transferring on day two or day three. You, you gain more information. So I agree with you. I think it's the best way. I fully agree. And imagine the stress for the patient to have a transfer and fail. I mean, she's going to think that it is because of her, no? I mean, uh, it's, it's human and natural to feel responsible when you have the embryo um, transferred inside the uterus. On the other side, when you keep them in the lab and you give an objective um, feedback that the embryo are not growing and it's due to the embryo, uh, it's really... For me, is the best counseling that you can do for a patient and to guide her or them, of course, the couple, to the right decision. So it's a key performance indicator for the lab and a very strong, powerful uh, data to be for the counseling to the patient. So I fully agree with you. We need to give trustable information to the patient. That, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you both. I, I just wanted to ask, um, Bill, coming back to where you adopt the freeze-all strategy, um, as a clinician, can you be more aggressive with your controlled ovarian stimulation to, to collect more eggs if you know you're avoiding risks of hyperstimulation uh, downstream? Yes, I think we can, and I think that's been a trend over the last few years, Um Firstly, there's increasing evidence that collecting a large number of oocytes from one cycle does not seem to impact oocyte quality, um, if at all, not very much. We used to believe that um, stimulating and collecting too many eggs, maybe the quality of the eggs, the quality of the blastocysts might be lower, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And secondly, you have the get-out-of-jail cards, which are using the agonist trigger and freeze all. So the risk of OHSS, although it's not zero, is negligible. Uh, the cases that are reported are mostly very extreme and, you know, are not the sort of thing we see in routine practice. So particularly these days where frequently we see couples having two or three children two or three years apart from one egg collection cycle, the aim sometimes with freezeall is to create more embryos than we might do if we were in the old days when we were planning fresh transfer. So it has changed the way we stimulate. And, and I think Lara would see that in her lab that we're giving you more eggs per cycle than we used to. We are more than happy to have more eggs for the cycle <laughs> in the lab. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the patient population has changed a lot, mm -hmm. especially in Italy. Imagine that the mean age is 38.6 years old uh, in general in Italy, and the mean number of all sites is six. So uh, we are facing really a very difficult patient population. So at least for those that have a good ovarian reserve, it's very powerful and very successful. So, you know, we have different strategy to to increase the number of foresight per cycle or even doing double stimulation. Um, so, because we know how much it is important to collect all sites, stop the time producing 
as much embryo as possible, not only to increase the, a single uh, live birth, but even to plan a family. So there is never too much embryo, too many embryos for, for a couple, in my view. Thank you, Lara Rienzi and Bill Ledger. And thank you also to everyone who's tuned in to this episode of Fertility Insights. Please like, share, comment, and make sure to tune in to our next episode. Please note that speakers have received a fee from Cooper Surgical for participating in this podcast.